These questions are designed to see the development of their relationship with him. How well were they beginning to understand the man who they were following? How much was their appreciation of who he really was? And those, to those purposes, we challenge ourselves perhaps because as we look at these questions and apply them to ourselves, the challenge is how, spirit, how is our spiritual understanding developing? Some of us have been along the way for many years and the challenge would be how far has our spiritual understanding developed? For those, of course, among us, and it's good to see them, who have just started upon the Christian walk, upon the Christian road, it's very important that we encourage them and develop their spiritual understanding. But also, much more importantly, is how is our relationship with Jesus Christ developing? This again is a question for all of us at whatever stage of our Christian lives we are. Are we developing that uh, likeness to Christ? Are we developing that closeness to him? Are we walking in accordance with his will and purpose? So these are the overriding thoughts. And so the question tonight is, as we read there in uh, Matthew chapter 16, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, what profit is it? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So at the bottom of this, of course, is the subject of profit or loss, which is very appropriate for a church full of accountants, and particularly a retired accountant giving the talk. So profit or loss... <coughs> And certainly this has to be, doesn't it, a very, very relevant question, not only to the disciples of that day, but to us today, in a world that's driven by materialism and is driven by consumerism, the pursuit of material gain, the pursuit of gaining uh, possessions, the gaining assets, gaining position as well. It's material tumorism. So... We need to see, therefore, how we can actually look into this question and see what the Lord is actually trying to draw out of us as we see our position. So, what you might notice is there are, about this question, there might be a couple of surprises. Firstly, this question is not addressed to ungodly men, to worldly men, but it's addressed to his disciples. Now, if you remember... He called them and they followed him. Peter, Andrew, James and John. They were all busy fishermen. They all had their working lives. They all had their business. It was their means of support for themselves and for their families. Someone like Matthew or his other name, Levi. He was a tax collector sitting at the receipt of taxes, making a nice little bit on the side for himself. And Jesus calls him. <coughs> and says, follow me. And he leads it all. So are these men who are really taken up with worldly goods and worldly acquisition, you see, were, was Jesus afeared, perhaps, that they, or perhaps we today, are in danger of falling under the influence of the very attractive world around us? Jesus is warning them. And remember, in the Bible class 
John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and Faithful, enter Vanity Fair, which was a picture of the world in those days, and how the world rejected uh, the witness of Christian and Faithful, and what the world did, what Vanity Fair did uh, to Faithful. They couldn't abide uh, the witness that they bore to the true Christian life. And secondly, we read there, didn't we, that uh, Jesus turned to Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offence to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And this immediately precedes this little bit of teaching in the next section. And it, it brings to mind, doesn't it, some thoughts that perhaps there are in this, some echoes of the Lord's own temptation. When Jesus himself was being tempted, Satan virtually uses uh, the words of this question, and it's Jesus in many ways bringing this back. Now, some weeks ago, perhaps none of us have forgotten David Hercock's series on the temptations. And he said at that time, didn't he, and perhaps a question mark was raised in my mind, um, why would David go into this business of, well, let me, let me romance a bit and let me express the feelings of my, what if? Because, see, in many ways, we might, as Jesus is referring here to this, we might ask the question, in his humanity, at that time, was Satan testing Jesus as he offered him the whole world? And of course, what we understand is to be tempted is not sinful, but to yield to temptation is sinful. And in that moment of temptation, of course, Jesus did not sin. He rebuked Satan, and he told Satan, and Satan left him. In exactly the same way that Jesus is uh, referring to Peter, responding to Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan, for this question is a temptation. It's a temptation for Jesus not to go through all the things that going to Jerusalem and to be uh, treated badly, to be killed and to be raised the third day. So perhaps that's the beginning or part of the reason why we come to this particular question. You see, we know, as I've just said, that this question is asked in the middle of a passage of teaching on the cost of discipleship. Jesus says here, he said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my son will find it. Now I love this uh, particular quote from the Reverend Knight who, from whose book we're, we're taking these studies. And he has this to say, this principle of self-denial, we say, this is the unbending, unchanging, unrepealable statute law of Christian discipleship until the end of time. It cannot be altered or watered down. And what it tells us is that self-denial is only a closer imitation of Christ. He calls it a coming after. If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. It's coming after him or following him. And he, that's Christ himself, was showing the example which all disciples are to follow. And 
and he follows that with the question what shall it profit man if he gain the whole world lose his own soul the challenge then of this particular question is this isn't it the world or Christ the world or Christ again earlier Jesus is in the uh, Sermon on the Mount Matthew chapter 6 he says no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other and here is perhaps the punchline if we are to use that phrase you cannot serve God and man you can't be in the world and be a disciple of Christ at the same time so then again there's a challenge here is how far along are we on the spectrum of Christ versus the world in our own personal lives in our own daily considerations how far along are we on the journey again to refer to Bunyan how far along are we on the journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city how far have we got you see by asking this question Jesus opens up another very very deep and interesting subject he draws attention to the existence of the spiritual nature as well as the human nature we understand that the spiritual nature is higher than the human nature which is lower than the spiritual nature and so the question is will our spiritual life triumph over our human life for our eternal benefit or will the spiritual life be overcome by the attractions of the present tangible life leading to our eternal loss this is the question that faces all Christians isn't it will our spiritual life overcome our human life triumph over our human life for our eternal benefit or will our spiritual life be overcome by the attractions of this present and tangible life leading to eternal loss the deep and searching question isn't it that the Lord raises he's not just talking here about material things as we'll consider in a minute he's going right to the heart of the matter he's going right to the issue of our spiritual life and this takes us back to the point we made at the beginning that each of these questions are designed to make the disciples think and evaluate their own spiritual development but also their own growth in their relationship with the master now they had the great privilege didn't they of actually walking beside the master listening to the words coming from his mouth listening to the teaching seeing his miracles and see, seeing the effect upon the people as they listen to his teaching as they listen to the teaching of the parables how did the people take it in how did the disciples take it in what was their response was it building up in them this great fund upon which they were building their spiritual development and their spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ of course it was remarked wasn't it of Jesus himself no man ever spake like this man he doesn't speak like the scribes and Pharisees 
this man is different. So it was for the disciples. So, just to think about worldly issues for a moment. This is a list of some of the nine or ten most worldly people in the world. Look at the top, it says worth in billions of dollars. Top person, whoever he is, is worth 211 million actually. His family owned a vast number of fashion uh, brands and all sorts of things. They own Louis Vuitton and a whole range of other fashion things. 211 billion. Elon Musk, of whom we hear so much in the press these days, worth a mere 180 billion dollars. And so the list goes down. Jeff Bezos, is he Google? Amazon, Amazon. 114 million. The size gets smaller, doesn't it? And then someone like Bill Gates, where he's down to 104 million. Used to be the world's richest man, but he's given loads of away and he to a charitable foundation. Just a view of these men, and certainly all these and many, many millions of people around the world, they have come to the conclusion that everything now is secure. Roman Abramovich commissioned a yacht worth $750 million or something. I'm secure. I can go where I want. I can do what I want. I can pay every bill. I can do this, this and this. But you know, so much of these very rich people's wealth is based on something very fragile. And that's the worth of their shares in their companies upon the market. And we've all seen over the years how quickly things can change. So although they may be very wealthy on paper, perhaps underneath, it's rather fragile. So in their terms... They have, according to the words of the Lord, in their terms, they have gained the whole world. We just go back again. You can look at the ages of some of them. Bernard Einhold, 74. Warren Buffett, the uh, American investment manager, is now 92. Michael Bloomberg, former mayor of New York, 81. Carlos Slim, who I used to work for, uh, 83, Mexican. Uh, owns Semex and all sorts of other companies in Mexico, he's 83. So, all their energies and all their efforts have been focused on this life only. Many of them are elderly, we've just seen, soon to depart this life, soon from pass from this life to the next. What then, we say, what then of their wealth? And the scripture has an answer for them, doesn't it? Now for this night... Thy soul is required of thee, said Jesus in the parable about the farmer who determined to knock down his barns and build bigger ones. So, how then, in answer to this question, how then can we protect ourselves from the attraction of the world which leads to loss? How can we do this? Well, to quote the words of Jesus himself, self-denial is the remedy. And Jesus said to his disciples, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And quite definitely, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Self-denial is the key, is the remedy. We're never promised, are we, in the Christian life, that it will be a bed of roses. We're not like the prosperity gospel preachers 
uh, follow Jesus Christ, follow me, make sure you give plenty in the collection for my house investments, um, and you too will become rich. The more generous you are, the more money you will make. Now, we never promise that in the scriptures. This is the way that the master went. The one who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no, um, made himself of no esteem, took upon himself the form of a human and uh, subjected himself unto death, even the death on a cross. This is the way that the master went. And he asked us to do nothing. And here's the important thing, isn't it? He asked us to do nothing which he himself has not done. This is what makes a good boss, a good leader, isn't it? We've been that way. We've done the jobs that we're now asking our staff and the people that work under us and the people that work with us. We lead by example. And surely there is no greater example for walking the Christian life than Jesus Christ himself. And perhaps then, when considering self-denial, our thoughts always go, perhaps always go too quickly to the material and the physical things of our lives. Should I really uh, have this? Should I really do that? Should I really so-and-so and so-and-so? These are things of the present. These are things of our material life. These are the things of our everyday lives. But you see, there are, however, deeper aspects deeper, much deeper, perhaps spiritual aspects about self-denial which present us with a great test of our commitment to Christ. And as we say, Jesus was probing to see what their developing relationship with himself was. And so here are just a few points perhaps that we can just mull over as we're moving swiftly through the time. Just a few points here about self-denial. I didn't think these up, I found these in a commentary, but they're very, very relevant. I must deny my self-esteem in case I think myself too good to suffer for Christ. I must deny my own wisdom in case I will be too prudent to suffer for Christ. I must deny my own ease in case I will be too lazy to suffer for Christ. I must deny my own interests in case I am too worldly to suffer for Christ. I must deny my own fears in case I am too cowardly to suffer for Christ. These are really thoughts about the inner man, aren't they? These are our thoughts of our response to our relationship with the Jesus Christ. We need to come and submit our all to his lordship, to his leading, to his guiding. So many of those attributes we take to ourselves and we make in many ways our targets. Am I going to be considered by my fellow brethren as a very, a very wise person? Am I going to rank high amongst my society? Will men say, there's a very important man? Or do I have a good job? 
And do I take my ease? Do I go about uh, asking others to do the things that I should be doing? No, these are issues that we need to look at deeply in our own lives. So then, how can, how can I pass such a test? Well, there's one word. By grace. Yep, by grace. We have no power of our own. We have no uh, help of our own. We have no strength, no abilities by ourselves. It's by grace alone. And at the end, we're going to sing this hymn uh, after the prayer time. And the words are these, which you know well. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labours increase. To add affliction, he added his mercy. Multiple trial, trial is multiplied peace. Grace is the clue. And grace comes from Jesus Christ himself, doesn't it? And so if we're to answer this question, what profit is it a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Yes, it's very true. There is absolute no profit of a total loss. But there is gain if we lay aside ourselves and our own aspirations and we commit and submit to the Lordship of Christ over our lives. Well, hope that's been of help as we've looked at that particular question.